You're listening to a podcast from Burley Heads Church of Christ, from Burley Heads on the Gold Coast. Heavenly Father, as we bow in your presence now, we thank you, Lord, for your presence here with us. We get to be here together. And Father, we just commit this next few minutes to you. We thank you for giving us your word and just uh, teaching us about yourself and, um, and how, what it means to follow you. And uh, Lord, I just pray that you would give us ears to hear, that you'd help us to hear your voice this morning, Lord. We invite you to speak with that, to us. Lord, as we, uh, you've, you've placed us here at this point in time, uh, 2019, on um, the beautiful Gold Coast, beautiful day like today. Lord, I just ask that, that you would show each of us what it means to follow you uh, more closely, uh, more obediently, uh, that we might make a difference in these days. And so we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Is that feedback coming from me? You just lower their level or something? That'd be good. I'd like to start by asking you all a question. Uh, you can just um, pop the next slide up. I'm kind of working hard there. Have you ever picked a fight with God? Have you ever picked a fight with God? I wouldn't advise it because uh, God, it's not really a fair fight and God always wins. Um, so why, who, why would people want to pick a fight with God? Well, people do. Uh, sometimes we get discouraged by life. Things haven't worked out as we expected, as we planned, as we hoped. And our faith starts to get challenged with all of this. And we wonder if our faith is actually worth holding on to anymore. Can anyone relate to that? And so when think, we get a bit disillusioned, uh, we pick a fight with God. We shake our fist at God and we say, how could you treat me this way? This is not fair. I don't deserve this. I deserve better. And we let him know in no uncertain terms that he hasn't lived up to our expectations. And I wonder if you've ever done that. As we come to God's word, we see Job doing that. Now, he had a pretty tough road uh, and he tried to keep, you know, a, a positive attitude and his faith intact. But eventually, when the time continued to wear on and the frustration wasn't changed uh, in a situation, um, when his suffering reached a certain point, a certain level, he just couldn't deal with what seemed to be the injustice anymore of what he was going through. Uh, and so he picked a fight with God. Now, John the Baptist did this as well. Uh, we see him languishing in a filthy prison. And so he sends some of his disciples to Jesus and says, you're not really the one we're to follow, are you? Are you? He wasn't really sure. Um, I have also picked a fight with God. Uh, it was um, a couple of years ago, I concluded in a role, a senior pastor role that I had at uh, Caloundra Church of Christ. Um, I had a, a number of, was having a number of months off as I was dealing with some health dramas, which unexpectedly came upon me, um, and also some emotional fatigue, which was on the back of that as well. And so I tried to be philosophical and say, oh, yes, uh, you know, I can do all things through God who gives me strength, right? But as I saw things in my life that I valued start to slip away, like my ministry role, like my health, like my fitness, my energy levels, and all of these things. My support network that I had with Churches of Christ as I just dropped off the radar. 
um, things weren't improving as much as I was uh, trying to abide by the doctor's instructions. And I got impatient. And so I picked a fight with God and I told him what I thought of him. And my struggle was that I, I didn't know how I could trust God when he allowed bad things to happen to me in my life. And so I think the issue was control. I liked how Steve started our, the, our prayer time this morning with uh, calling us to greater surrender. Because that's always our challenge, isn't it? Surrender to where God, what he's doing in our life, to embrace where we're at right now. I think for me, the problem was that my idea of God was too small and God was doing something about that. And if you've got doubts, if you feel that what you're going through is starting to impact on your faith, bring that to God. Make him a part of it. He can handle that. What he doesn't want is for you to let those doubts turn into unbelief and then you walk away. So I wonder if you've ever picked a fight with God. Maybe you let him know in no uncertain terms how you, what you think about how things are working out. Maybe you've remained stoic and uh, you've just pushed it all inside, kept quiet, but the resentment is building and you've gotten angry with God. Now, today I want to talk about a time that the Israelites picked a fight with God. And without wanting to minimize any of the pain or suffering that you might have gone through in your lives, my hope for you today is that you might come to embrace the plans that God has for you his provision for you in your life right now, right today. Now, Steve Gray, your pastor, told me that you've been going through the Exodus story. So the story of the Israelites coming out of captivity in Egypt into going into the promised land and uh, invited me to speak on uh, some of the, the stories uh, that happened when they were in the desert. And that's what we're going to look at today. Just think about how terrifying that would have been for the Israelites to have... Uh, to leave after seeing all the plagues and all the things that happened, the death of all the firstborn, and then they're heading out, um, they don't know where, to the promised land. They've got all of a sudden the Egyptian army behind them and the Red Sea in front of them. Just how terrifying that would have been to be completely trapped, like fish in a barrel. Um, No way for them to escape. But God made a new way through the sea. And they didn't have anything in their minds that they could compare this to about some way that God had done this in the past and say maybe he'd do it again. It was completely beyond anything that they could hope that would happen. Um, But God can do more than all we ask or that we imagine. This here, the the, uh, children of Israel going through the Red Sea, it is the preeminent miracle of the Old Testament. It's referred to over and over again in so many of the Old Testament books. It's all through the Psalms and Isaiah and other books as well. uh, Trying to get back to remind God's people of all the amazing things that God has done. That he was actually able to lead his people out of captivity through the Red Sea. Uh, And um, he wanted to take them through to freedom in their own land. Now God could take the uh, the people out of Egypt in one day. But it literally took him decades to get Egypt out of the people. And I want to talk about one of the incidents that happened to them as they were in the desert on their way to the promised land. If you've got a Bible, you might like to open it to the book of Numbers 11. Nanette's already read it for us from uh, Psalms. But now we'll look at it in just some of the bits of this in Numbers, the book of Numbers. As the people were heading out into the desert, the desert is a place of death. The desert is a place where there's no people, no Vegetation, there's nothing. No water. 
God led them out there and he started to provide for them. The people complained and God gave them bread. Uh, And it, it reads like this. It says here, the manna, which is the bread that they received, manna literally is Hebrew for what is it? They didn't know what it was. This stuff would just appear. It says here, it was like coriander seed and looked like resin. The people went around gathering it and then ground it in a hand mill or crushed it in a mortar. They cooked it in a pot and made it into cakes. And it tasted like something made with olive oil. When the dew settled on the camp at night, the manna also came down. Seems to be a very versatile substance, this. You can cook it in many different ways. Manna burgers, Keith, Keith Green once said. Uh, but it wasn't natural. It was a supernatural food. So we're told that they would have to go out in the morning to collect it, just enough for one day. If they collected more than one day, we'd get maggots in it that I'd have to toss it out. But if on Friday morning, they could collect enough for two days because then they wouldn't have to go out on Saturday, the Sabbath, and it would stay preserved across two days. And it kept doing that for over 40 years while they were in the desert. And everywhere they traveled, there was manna. It wasn't just happening in one little space like it was a naturally occurring thing. Wherever they went in the desert, it was there for them. And plenty enough to feed all of the people for all of that time. Now, the most important thing to think about when we think of manna is that they didn't have to work for it. They didn't deserve it. They didn't earn it. They just had to go and pick it up off the ground. It's a real picture of grace here. And also, all the time that they were going through the wilderness, their clothes didn't wear out, their shoes didn't wear out. For all of the time that they were out there, God was providing for them and looking after their every need. But they still weren't happy. So Numbers 11 goes on like this. It says, the rabble with them, I love the language here, the rabble, I think that's referring to people which have come out of Israel with the Israelites. So as the Israelites came out, a couple of million people, there were other people in Egypt as well who wanted to join them and, and came with them. The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. That was their breath. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. Now this complaint, it probably came from these people who joined with the Israelites, but eventually it's the Israelites doing this as well. And um, look at how they describe their life in Egypt. You know, it's like they're living like kings. You know, um, all this food that they had and there's just such an ideal time for them. But they totally forget about the slave driver's whip, about the oppression, about the mud pits where they had to make the bricks, uh, about a, 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 the king there, Pharaoh, who would murder the babies uh, who were being born. All they could think of was all of the wonderful food that they had managed to eat. Now, would you agree with me God was doing a new thing with his people? Like like, um, uh, was shared here earlier in communion, uh, God wants to do a new thing with us. He was doing a new thing with his people here, completely new. But all they could do was complain. It's like with every new thing that God was trying to do, it was like they were saying, it's never been as bad as this. This is just the worst. You know, why do we have to put up with this? And they forgot all the wonders they'd seen going through the Red Sea. Um, They forgot where they were headed going to their own land, the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. To them, 
Nothing had been as, was as, ever as worse, as bad as it was now. And so here's the thing. Be careful what you wish for. Be careful what you wish for, because it might seem like what you, you wish for is the best, but it could actually turn out to be a curse in your life. It might seem like a blessing, but in the long run, it might not be the, thing, the right thing for you. Now, Numbers 11, verse 18, it goes on to say this, and this is God speaking. It says, tell the people, this is God speaking, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat, we were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. You will not eat it for just one day or two days or five, ten or twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wailed before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? So look at that last, um, the last sentence there. That's where we get to the real problem that the Israelites had. They had rejected the Lord who was among them, who was actually dwelling with his people. They'd rejected him. It wasn't about meat. It was that they had rejected God's plan, God's purpose, God's provision for them in their life right now. That complaining, that spirit of complaining is so destructive because it caused them to forget to be grateful for everything they were receiving. Instead, they rejected everything that God was wanting to do among them and in them. Was it too hard for God to provide meat for a couple of million people? Moses said, my resources are too small. How, do, how am I going to provide for them all? But can God do this? Well, Moses couldn't see how it could possibly be done, but for God there was no problem. I don't have a slide for this one, but if you're reading in Numbers 11, from verse 31 it says this. If you just uh, haven't got it, just listen along. It says this. Now, a wind went out from the Lord and drove quail in from the sea. You know what quail is, right? A little bird, flying bird like this big. I've never had quail. If I did, it would actually cost me a lot of money, I suppose. I've seen people cook it on TV, um, but these guys are about to get tons of it for free. Um, and it says here, the wind brought them down all around the camp to about three feet above the ground as far as a day's walk in any direction. So we're talking 15 to 20 kilometers radius right around three feet above the ground of quail. Is there anything too hard for God? All that day and night and all the next day, the people went out and gathered quail. No one gathered less than 10 homers. So just to give you a bit of an idea, um, the person who did really bad and got the least, they collected as much as 2.2 kiloliters of quail. That's the idea. And people would have collected more. Then they spread them out all around the camp. But while the meat was still between their teeth and before it could be consumed, the anger of the Lord burned against the people and he struck them with a severe plague. Therefore the place was named Kibroth Hatava because there they buried the people who had craved other food. I find it so interesting that God gives to this bunch of complainers what they're asking for. He actually gives it to them, even though it wasn't what he had for them. Be careful what you wish for. It might seem like a blessing, but it could end up being a curse. And as I was putting this together, I was thinking about King Hezekiah in the book of Isaiah, uh, chapter 38 and 39. And uh, God tells him, Hezekiah, you're going to die. Put your house in order. 
you know, you're going to be dying shortly. And we read that he complained and he got bitter in his spirit about this and cried out to the Lord, well, this is not fair and why is this happening to me? And so God gave him an extra 15 years of life. It wasn't in the initial plan, but he gave him an extra 15 years. And so he got the ukulele out and, taught, and sang a song of praise to God and that was all wonderful. Um, but something changed in his heart and he became proud. Now the king of Babylon heard about his amazing recovery and uh, sent some envoys over to Israel to find out what this amazing miracle was that he'd been re restored back to health again. What a great opportunity for him to bear witness to how wonderful God is and to how, how God was able to heal him and God was his healer and raise him up. But instead he shows them all of the treasures that Israel had. And it says that he didn't hold back anything of all the treasures that he had to say, what a mighty king I am and look at all of the, 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 the splendor and wealth that I have. And after they left... Isaiah prophesied to Hezekiah that one day those Babylonians would be back and they were going to raid the temple and take it all. And that's what happened. Now Hezekiah might have got an extra 15 years, but in the end he didn't finish well. Be careful what you wish for. And I was thinking even as I was putting this together of a time many years ago, I'm 45 today, my birthday today, when I was in my early 20s, um, uh, I remember being in um, youth leadership with uh, a number of people and one of the, the ladies, the young lady, was part of our team. She was just always fixated. She wanted to get married. She had to get married. And the years would go by and uh, she came to the realisation that she was being left on the shelf. And she was 24, you know. <laughs> left on the shelf, in her words. And so uh, she thought that she would force the issue. And she hooked up with a guy who wasn't a Christian and, um, but he was sort of going to church a little bit and um, she thought maybe I can you know, help him to grow. And they got married and had a kid and then they got divorced a couple of years later. Had a lot of pain and suffering there and she got married again really quickly after that and then the next marriage was just a lot of hardship and difficulty. Be careful what you wish for. Now here's the principle for today. Embrace God's plans for you in the here, in the now. How he's providing for you. You might look at your life and there's restrictions and boundaries that you're, like, you're pushing against. Like for me with my health, or for you with your family situation or your work situation or whatever it is. But if God is your father, if he is your shepherd, are you willing to believe that the circumstances of your life reflect his pastoral care for you? Whatever those circumstances might be. And that he is trying to form something in you and grow you and change you. Embrace God's plan for you in the here and now. There's a verse in Ecclesiastes 7 verse 10. It says this. Do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. Now that's what the Israelites were doing, weren't they? Those old days, why did we ever leave Egypt? That was wonderful there. That was the best. I wish we could go back to Egypt again. Do not say, why were the old days better than these? If only we could go back to Egypt. We don't want this new path God has got us on, promised land. I'm just seeing desert here and this boring food that he gets us to eat all the time. Now maybe for you, you, you hear about what the Israelites did and you think, well, maybe the manna was boring. Who wants to eat the same food, breakfast, lunch and dinner every single day? There's only so many different ways you can cook that stuff, right? Maybe it was boring. Maybe 
you look at this verse here and you think of days gone by. And you think maybe those days back then, they were better than now. We've got our son Josh with us. And I think when Han and Josh were young, you know, like you guys at the back there with your your little kids, I think um, when our kids were little, that was so cute. You know, and I think back to those days, it was just so different. And they're cute now, but in a different kind of way. Um, All of us do this, don't we? We look back to times gone by when we think things were better. More ideal than now. A job that you loved and friends that you had. Maybe a particular pastor that you had here at the church that you really admired, perhaps. Or ministries which were being effective. You know, that, that Sunday school revival of 1964, that was a really good one. Good, good old days. So what should we do? Why is it not wise to ask this question? Because particularly when life gets difficult, we get impatient. We don't like eating the manna or being in the situation where God has got us. It's so easy to pine for the good old days, how things were when they were better. So why is it not wise to ask this question? Why were the old days better than these? Because sometimes they really do seem better than today, don't they? Well, here's some reasons why maybe it's not wise to ask this question. Firstly, because we look back with rose-coloured glasses. It's been said that the good old days are often just a combination of a bad memory, and a good imagination. That uh, the Israelites were thinking of the past so nostalgically for all the food that they they were enjoying, right? The leeks and the onions and the garlic and all of those sorts of things. But they forgot the horror and the oppression. They had no opportunities there. There was no future for them there. Sometimes when we look back, we choose to remember the things we want to remember. Secondly, because it makes us cling to the past. Because we can't go back. We can't go back. I find it so interesting that so many movies that have been written over the last few years are all about this issue of time travel. People going back, or maybe like Groundhog Day, you know, uh, that you know, when I say that, you know exactly what I mean, living the same day over and over and over. You know, movies that are like this, and there's, there's like a dozen of them which have that same idea of living the same day over and over and over. Because isn't that what all of us would love to do, to be able to go back? not say those things or not do that thing or make that decision or marry that person or do that thing which then took us on a path, Um, we'd love to be able to go back and make that right. If only we could go back. But we can't. We can't go back. And so what's the choice then? Thirdly, maybe it's not wise to ask this question because it makes you uncaring about what's happening right now. That... We lose effectiveness today by hankering for the past and how things were back then. Because there are potential, there's possibilities in front of us, opportunities right now, before us. We live in the past, we ignore those. We think of the victories of the past, we get stuck in that, but we're called to influence this generation here right now. Like it says about Esther, you know, that she had come into the kingdom for such a time as this. Right then, she could have said, oh yes, but wasn't it so much better back then, you know? But this is where we're called to live. Fourthly, maybe the more, most important one, it's not wise to ask the question, why were the old days better than these? Because we refuse to see what God is doing. We don't see how God is a part of it. 
and what he might be doing. Now, for the Israelites, they were heading to their own land, the promised land. That's where they belonged, a land with milk and honey. And we see some of the, the descriptors of it. They go in there and some of the spies take off a branch off a vine thing and it takes two of them to carry this, you know, this big bunch of grapes. You know, um, uh, it was a, truly spectacular, the land that they were going into. But when we complain, when we refuse to see what God is doing, that complaining can become destructive because we basically pick a fight with God and say, it's not fair, I deserve better than what I'm getting. Now, even though in your life, in my life, we look back at the good old days, God is still at work everywhere in our lives, all over the place, in every single one of you. And as you go out those doors and you go down the beach, people, God is at work in all of those people's lives as well and trying to get through to them and speaking to them as well. He's at work all over the place. Like Steve said, his Holy Spirit fills this earth. We can't go up in a plane so high or a submarine down so low where we can escape it. He's everywhere. And he's always at work, if we're willing to see it. And so I find it so interesting. We come to God's word, particularly the Psalms, and it says again and again, sing a new song to the Lord. It's not about singing the old songs of the, the nation of Israel. He's saying to them, sing a new song. David writes all of these songs. Now, for us, those are all old songs, but they're new songs that we have to sing as well to the Lord. Because we serve a God who is always making things new fresh. In the book of Ezra, Ezra was written after the time of the exile. The nation went into slavery to Babylon, 70 years, and they came back into their own land. The temple was all destroyed. All the, the wall of Jerusalem was all broken down, and they started to rebuild it again. And we see this in Ezra chapter 3, when they started to rebuild the temple again from the foundations. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. So the, the, the foundations being laid for this new temple. The old men are weeping for the good old days, the glory days, the temple that they had in mind they could remember. But others were singing for joy because of the, the work which was now being begun. Now, who do you want to be? Who do you want to be? Lamenting for the glory days gone by, but missing what is happening right now? Or trusting that God is involved in the here and now and he's doing a new thing? There is a man at Southport Church of Christ called Mark. And uh, he used to be involved in the governance team, leadership position in the church. And over the space of this last couple of years has gone downhill dramatically with motor neuron disease. So he had to leave his position in, in that and uh, has gone down so quickly that uh, he's in a wheelchair. He's completely lost his independence. Um, he still has everything up here. And that's what happens with motor neuron disease. It's a, it's a vicious beast because it leaves you perfectly intact up here and your body just completely loses all independence and ability. And um, <clears throat> for Mark, communication is hard and things are going to continue to deteriorate for him in the coming years. Now, what does Mark have to be happy about? Surely the old days would be better than these, right? 
After one of my last messages, he emailed me. He is able to input into an iPad through eye movements now. Um, and he wrote, I've often said that what God brings me to, he will see me through. I think the secret is surrender. Easy to say, hard to learn. He talked in another email about <clears throat> what is happening to him health-wise and how it's given him a greater appreciation for eternity. The life beyond this life, because our hope is never in this life, it's in the life to come. Mark can't go back, but he's looking forward. You know, difficult times call us to look to the promised land, not back to Egypt. Um, and so for Mark, the future that he will experience will ultimately be better than any present or past ever was. And that's where his hope is now. Looking to the future. Looking to where God is leading him. That's the hope we have as Christians. I'll, just, I'll close with this story. Ravi Zacharias... He's a well-known evangelist, apologist, some of you have heard of him. He tells the story of when he was back in his native land of India a couple of years ago. And he went to one of the marketplaces there and he saw a father and a son working on a sari. It's like a sarong, right? A sari uh, with all the beautiful colours and that. And um, all around the father and the son were these beautiful threads, all these vivid colours, blue and red and gold and silver. And the father was sitting above on a chair and the son was lower. Uh, and they were working together on this thing. And the father would take some of the threads and arrange them, right, in, this, in the fabric. And then he would nod to the son. And the son would take his little shuttle and make it go backwards and forth along like this. And then the father would uh, take some more threads and arrange them. And then nod to the son. And the son would get the little shuttle and weave it back and forth, you know, and they're creating this piece of this garment. And uh, in three days... The end result of that combined effort of father and son would be a beautiful sari. And the thought came to Ravi Zacharias, now I can do what the son is doing, I can't do what the father is doing. Because at the time, all the pattern is in the mind of the father. He can see what the pattern will look like, right? And the son just plays his role, the father nods, and he moves his little shuttle back and forth along. Now from the perspective of heaven, our heavenly father is outside of the restraints of time. And uh, he determines the colours that will feature in our lives. And some of those colours are vivid and bright. Others, other the, others of those colours are kind of dull. And um, others are really dramatic. Others might not seem so much. But while we can't understand what is going on in the Father's mind with all this, he still has a design. We look to him, he nods, we play our part, and his purposes are fulfilled. Now, I find that life is a little bit like that. And for you and for I, that's part of the trust factor. We might never get to understand or to see what God is up to with the ups and downs of our life. He asks us to trust. Look at this, um, these verses from Isaiah 43. Here we are. This is um, so what the Lord says from Isaiah to the people of Israel after they've come back out of the exile, like that time of Ezra I was saying about, back into their own land. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, the Exodus, right, the Red Sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. 
Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the desert and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. So can I encourage you this morning, no matter what's going on for you, wait on God. Trust God. Rest in him. Abide in him and where he's got you in your life right now, today. And receive the things that he freely provides in your life today. Sometimes with all the boundaries and limitations around that you want to push back against. Now I feel in my own life, I eventually came to this place of acceptance and trust um, because I had to relinquish control in my own life. Um, I had to let God be God in my own life. Now one day, as I said, God may let you and I into the secret about why he has allowed certain things to happen. Or maybe not. Maybe it won't be in this life. Maybe it'll be in the life to come. But let's be people who are willing to embrace God's plan, his purposes for us today as he leads us on to something which is truly spectacular. Would you join me in prayer? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have given us these stories from the Old Testament uh, as examples to encourage our faith, uh, to warn us, but also to spur us on that you are the, the, the God who never changes. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so, Lord, I just pray for anyone who may be struggling this day just with uh, their lot in life and how things are, are working out, that you might lift their sights to be able to see where you're at work, Lord where you are working around them and give them a, just a, a glimmer of hope in their hearts, Lord, that, that you are the God who can do all things, that in your time that you can bring change and movement. Help us to embrace, Lord, where we are at. Lord, we recognise that you are an amazing God, that you are our shepherd, that you know all things. You know the thoughts of each person in this room and so we can trust you. You're the wisest, most magnificent being in this whole universe. Help us, Lord, to hear your voice today, to trust you where you're leading us. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.